fresh out the oven. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie and popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are beginning our new miniseries, Denny for Two, covering the every film directed by Denny Villeneuve. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing good. I have, in this last week, watched two movies that were filmed in East Point, Georgia, where we used to live. No kidding. That, that I recognized that is East Point, where it was supposed to be Ohio. That's even weirder. Which um, cool. is where I was born. So that was cool. It was in uh, Fear Street, 1994, and Black Widow. Whoa. Both have it. And they both go to Ohio in those movies? They're both set in Ohio, what they filmed in East Point. No kidding. And here I was thinking Black Widow was going to go to Russia or some crazy stuff. Have you seen Black Widow, Jay? I have seen Black Widow, yes. I watched it two days ago with Chandler. How did you feel about David Harbour having Karl Marx tattooed on his knuckles? <laughs> Is that the that best like, thing ever? <laughs> that was like, I st- we were watching and I feel so bad because the like, audience was like packed. So I just like turned to him and was like, Chandler has Karl Marx tattooed on his fingers. <laughs> so I, I felt pretty good about it. Um, yeah, he was probably my favorite part of the movie. Have you seen Black Widow, Emmett? I haven't, but that does make me want to see it. But it also like brings up a whole philosophical question that I'm not even sure I, that I'm prepared to get into about. But Jay, you know, like, okay, so what does it mean that like it's cool that he's got Karl Marx on his fingers? So that makes me want to go and like watch the movie and spend more money on this capitalist like super machine. <laughs> like, what is that? That's so twisted. The commodification of the counterculture, man. Yeah, it's so dude. Real, dude. It's so real. We're contributing to it right now. It is real. It's 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 yeah. I mean, that's a big thing. Is they just kind of absorb everything. So that's definitely a real thing. But it's cool. So I'm gonna watch it. If I'm gonna be trapped in it. I'm gonna watch a cool movie. You know. <laughs> that's that's fair. He also says at one point that he was placed in jail for trying to make the Communist Party feel like a real party. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he wanted to make the party feel like it had a soul again or something. I forget what he said exactly, yeah, but... He says actually like a party, but then he says instead of something, I forget what it is, but it's like instead of a bunch of staunchy old guys or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, dear listener, uh, you may be wondering who this voice is, unintroduced, who we've been talking with. But today, I'm doing very well, Wade, because we have a special I guest. I was going to ask... <laughs> I was going to ask. Uh, they're a, a musician. Um, <sighs> honestly, honestly, one of the foremost innovators in sludgecore shoegaze grunge metal. Uh, they're one of the best uh, barbacks in Atlanta. Uh, wow. Please, please welcome Jay Cobb of the Internet. Thank you. Wow. We're just gonna. So the things I said about Black Widow were non-canon, right? Because I had not been introduced. Yeah, exactly. That was yeah. just a disembodied okay. voice. So now that I've been introduced, everything I'm saying counts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow. One of the best barbacks in Atlanta. I'll take it. You know, it just I pour beer really well. Thank you. Jay was our very first 
guest on this podcast, if you yeah. remember. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah I forgot about Returning that. champion, one of the first, that's right. one of the best. On the Wolverine episode. If you're a new listener, you should go and listen to that X-Men Origins Wolverine episode. <laughs> I mean, the, and Wade, you said this movie was exactly like X-Men Origins Wolverine. I want you to unpack that here. I want I, you to defend that statement question. right now. What, what did you mean by it? I'm sad to say it was just a joke. I need you to stand by it. I need you to stand it. by it. Because I was watching it the whole time and being like, when does this turn into X-Men Origins Wolverine? <laughs> From the very first frame, Emmett. What do you mean? God, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Jay, <laughs> wow. had you seen this film before? I have never seen this film before. And I think the only the only movie by Denny I've seen is... Uh, we weren't first name basis, but mm. the only movie by him I've seen is... Um, oh, no, I've seen Arrival and 2049. Okay. Those are both by him, right? 2049 yes. by him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those are the only two I've seen. I liked, oh, I liked Arrival... It's probably my favorite soundtrack, too. But for 24-9, I was like, meh, about, I guess. Felt pretty neutral about it. Who does the soundtrack on Arrival? It is Johan Johannesson. Rest in peace. Mm, damn. Yeah, he did the soundtrack for, like, Mandy as well. And okay. he's done a lot of stuff. But I can't remember any of them right now. But he's great. Uh, a lot of cool drones in there. So for a sludgecore mm. artist, you, you can see why I'd <laughs> like it. Yeah. <laughs> Emmett, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm I'm doing super well. <laughs> loving life, loving being here on June 68th or whatever. <laughs> whatever day it is. I'm delighted to be talking about this wonderful first film. I'd never seen it before. Had you ever seen it before, Wade? No, I had also only seen Arrival in 2049 of the Denny movies. Have you seen any of the others, Emmett? I have seen Arrival and 2049, definitely. And then, what, the others are Prisoner and Sicario Enemy and, and Sicario. Enemy, and those are all in English. Oh. I haven't I haven't seen any of those, so no. I did not know he did Sicario. I've seen that as well. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's, a cool, that's a cool movie. I've heard good things about all of them, which is, like, obviously why we're, we're doing this. But, yeah, I guess it's only the two big sci-fi ones recently that he did that I was aware of. Yeah, and actually, I think about it. I think Johan Johansson. Yeah, he did the Sicario soundtrack too. Oh, nice. oh well, we do have a little housekeeping, which oh, I just remembered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. which is that since we recorded announcing that we were doing this series and recording doing this first episode, Warner Brothers pushed back Dune, of course, <laughs> by several weeks. Classic means you have more time to focus your episodes. You know, well, it means Wade has more time to read the book. Is what it really means. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. And that brings up another piece of trying to read it for Oct- <laughs> I was going to read it for October 1st, 2020, and then they pushed it back by a whole year. I still have made no progress. Oh, my God. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to do all of the Denny's through 2049, which is his last movie that's out right now. Um, and, and on the way, we're going to do Candyman that Jordan Peele wrote the Tuesday after it comes out. Mm. Then at the end of that 2049 episode, we're going to announce our next series. You'll get two episodes of that, and then you'll get Dune in the middle of that, the Tuesday after it comes out in theaters and HBO Max. Wow. Yeah. And then you'll get the ranking and wrap-up of our Tenny <laughs> series, and then 
And then we'll be back on the third episode of our next series. A lot of timelines being intertwined here. Everyone go watch Loki on Disney+. Plus. This is really going to be the, X, the X-Men the x series of podcasts by the time this, this little roundabout gets done. <laughs> Truly. Also, we should say, Bumtober is coming up. So send your suggestions for series you want us to cover to... Uh, cinemabumspod at gmail.com I think I've already sent you like four cinemabumspod at gmail.com and Jay is maybe the only person to have sent us any emails so far so let's <laughs> let, let's let's change that up no we've gotten several okay good. we've gotten several from Chandler <laughs> <laughs> great uh, so oh my this God. movie that we're talking about today August 32nd on earth 1998 Denis Villeneuve's first film. Let me read the French title. Oh, yeah, please do. Un trente du out sur terre. Does that mean August 32nd on Earth? Yes. Good ear. So this, this movie is about a young woman who gets in a car crash on the night of August 31st and wakes up the next morning mostly unscathed, but a little dazed and confused. She's like, got this freaky nosebleed. And people think she might have a concussion. The guy tells her, hey, you're going to, you might have like some mental gaps. You might have some like memory gaps and not really be sure what's going on. She's like, cool. And everything is a little disjointed. Like the first 20 minutes of this film are thoroughly disorienting, I felt like. Yeah. Then she goes and goes to her best friend, like who she's known for several years and says, hey, remember that time that we made a promise that if neither of us had kids by 30, we'd have, like, a kid together. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, I want you to follow through on it now, four years early. Because my life doesn't have enough meaning, and I think a kid would bring meaning to it. I mean, she doesn't state that exactly, but that seems to be... That's, like, the subtext and in the letterbox description of the movie, so yeah. I think the premise was that they had promised the thing that, like, people always joke about. Because it's a boy and a girl best friend. Right. And they had mm-hmm. promised... That they would marry each other at 30 if they were both single by the time they turned 30. Right. Oh, okay. And he has a girlfriend. And he Mm -hmm. is 30, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Think that he is now 30. And she's 26. And he has a girlfriend. Uh, So she says, we're we're not going to get married. I just want you to get me pregnant. And you don't have to have anything to do with it. I'll just take care of the kid. But I want a kid. Yeah. That's it. I mean, the interesting thing about you saying it's like so disorienting in the beginning of the movie is I was like, every time that a car is involved in that first like 20 minutes, it's so loud. That was really interesting. I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. But that first few minutes of that movie were like, oh, God, which I think was a a nice, cool little choice there. Because it sets you on edge for the rest of the movie. There are a lot of really close close-ups in that opening, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot of shots where it's, like, just her eyes as, mm-hmm. like, other stuff is happening. And that isn't really there the rest of the movie. But, yeah, in that opening section. There's that wonderful sequence right when she gets out. Oh, where she's going through the grass. Yeah, where she's going through the grass. And it takes it feels like it takes her forever. Mm-hmm. Then she looks back and the car's, like, five feet behind her, you know? Yes, that was, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because this is considered... Is this considered French New Wave? I can't remember. This is, like, his tribute no, to French No, it's inspired by it, because he's Canadian. Because gotcha. I think, isn't that, like, one of the hallmarks of French New Wave is just, like, shaky cam following people around, if I, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly? I'm sure there's going to be a film bro that gets mad at me about that, but... Well, I've got a little bit on this I can just drop here. If we yeah, want to. 
I love it. Yeah. So this film has several references to French New Wave. Uh, Denny is, as Emmett said, French-Canadian. He's, he's Canadian. He's born in Quebec. But that mm. is the French territory of Canada. So I would imagine he, he grew up watching some French New Wave. And French New Wave is like a lo-fi, experimental French film movement in the 50s and 60s. Mm. So it was very much like, we don't have the resources of these big films, but we can still make exciting stuff. Mm. Um, so the, a couple of references that I've got here, Simone, who is the main character, her hair is styled after Jean Seberg, who is the main French new wave actress, Philippe, who is the, her male best friend. He also has a poster of Seberg up on his wall, Mm -hmm. which I think kind of makes sense both as a reference and in universe because the girl he's in love with looks like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's funny. that's interesting yeah and then the scene early on where he is in the bathroom repeating his name to himself oh is a reference yeah. to the french new wave film stolen kisses wow these guys are totally the kinds of people who would watch french new wave films and like be like conversant in that like language too like those two characters are mm. they seem mm. like this kind of like yeah like kind of upper middle class mm-hmm. overeducated, underemployed type languishing in the mm-hmm. mid 90s yeah and if you remember emmett uh francis ha yeah. was also bombach trying to do a french new wave film and something i found interesting both this movie and that movie don't have a score huh just use licensed music huh. oh yeah I did notice that. That was interesting. I mean, I thought the, the music was cool. Jay, flop or bop? I'm going to say it's a bop. I'm going to say like three and a half out of five stars, I feel. Because mm-hmm. I would say it's like a fairly coherent movie and like you're not like bored most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's like teetering on the edge for sure for me. Um, but I enjoyed I enjoyed watching it for the most part. So definite bop for me, yeah. Wade? Flop or bop? I would say bop for me as well, which was kind of surprising from when I started it. Mm. I was pretty surprised by how just sort of like how much of like a regular rom-com this was, at least in like its premise and plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this came out in 1998 and I think like everything that happens in this movie could happen in like a Cameron Diaz, Ben Affleck rom-com <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe up yeah. until the last 10 minutes, but that ca- that came out in 1998, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. On that same line, I was kind of watching it a little apprehensive about like when it was going to get messed up. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Denny's reputation is sort of a, like a very mature, kind of dark filmmaker. Yeah. And this is like a very charming, straightforward movie for most of it. Yeah. I I was, I was the exact same way. I was like, this is cute. This is, it's like weird. It's fun. I'm like, are they going to like kill each other? <laughs> yeah. Is there like, they're going to get back and there's going to be like some turn of events with the girlfriend. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I was, I did not know where it was going. And which is interesting. I mean, watching it, it like, it's like strange how if you like watch it after watching his other stuff, you go back, it kind of subverts your expectations a little bit, which is interesting. Yeah. And the last 10 minutes do get a little bit messed up. Mm. And I don't like the ending, which we can talk about later. Right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. But it, I don't think that is even like as full on as I was sort of bracing myself for. Yeah, no. 
And it really came out of nowhere, too, which is the other thing. But Emmett, flop or bop on this one? Bop. Completely. Okay, great. I, well, because I think that, like, a lot of what's going on with, like, you know how they see, like, the dead body and it totally freaks them out? And it's like... Mm-hmm they're like what's becoming of the world it's like a lot of this movie is kind of like about the deterioration of you know they're just like looking at like a wasteland you know it feels very like everything feels like very um dead and you know decaying and everything yeah. going to completely to hell and so that at the end like the thing that comes along and like the guys that like beat him to the point of being in a coma just like do it for no reason just like come out of nowhere and just do it is like kind of in line with that whole philosophy of like i feel like what's being said with throughout the whole thing you know it's all about random things affecting people's lives and how she just kind of comes out of nowhere and is like, hey, I want to have a kid. And the reason for that is because a car crash came out of nowhere and flipped her life upside down, literally. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I also got this weird sense that, like, a lot of the movie was, like, about, like, society versus nature, too. Mm-hmm. Or, like, humanity versus nature, you, you see a lot of shots of, like, I think, like, specifically Philippe, like, when he's, like, thinking, it's just, like, with a backdrop of plants. And there's just, like, a lot of mm. shots of just, like, nature, especially, like, on the outskirts of society, it feels like. And, like, you know, these big shots and um, the salt flats and everything. It was just, like, interesting watching, like, these characters that were, like, because she was, like, a photography model, right? Mm-hmm. Just, like, a yeah. perfume model and stuff. And he's, like, a studying to be a doctor. So like these two characters that are fairly entrenched in society being forced to like confront these things in the middle of nowhere, just like in the woods or in tall grass. That was just something I noticed just like a lot of like random shots of trees and grass and uh, watching nature go by as you drive in a car. It was really interesting to me. Kind of feels like coming into the contact with like the enormity and weirdness of the world and like how varied things yeah. can be. And she's just like, yeah, I can just book a flight and go somewhere. I can just quit my job and, like, go and do whatever the hell I want. Like, it doesn't mean that I, like, should mm-hmm. or that it's going to, like, turn out well. But you can just do that and, yeah. like, take a complete left turn like that. It's pretty cool. That's probably what I would say the movie is about. It's just, like, how one day you really can just decide to change your life completely. And you'll probably be fine. But there's also consequences to that as well. Yeah, it is interesting that it starts with like a random accident happening to her and ends with a random accident happening to him. Oh, true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So I'm guessing that probably a lot of our listeners will not have seen this. <laughs> yeah. And I think you should check it out. We watched it on Mubi, the streaming service Mubi, mm-hmm. which Mubi. has <laughs> restored it. But what happens is... Simone gets into this accident. She asks her best friend, Philippe, to have sex with her so she'll have a baby. Philippe has a girlfriend, Juliette, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We then find out that Philippe has also been in love with Simone for, like, years and years and years. And maybe Mm -hmm. has gotten over it at this point, but has was in love with her for a very long time as they've been best friends. Or at least he thinks he's over it, maybe. Like, he's like, I have a girlfriend, I moved on. I, you know, it's his best friend, when he wakes him up, is like, you know, you were in that deep depression for a couple of years because of her and everything. Mm-hmm. And now you've come out of it. So I would say, don't get involved with her at all. And he's like, yeah. you really are my best friend. And then he leaves <laughs> and goes to Simone. So. Just, just the exact opposite. <laughs> I love that moment. That guy was so great. 
Yeah. Yeah, dude. There's a lot of like fun little weird characters in this in the background if you watch. Um mm-hmm. like in that cafe scene, which had a really funny bit too. The, where like all the these pagers. like studying the pagers, yeah. <laughs> I love that bit where he's just like, It's mine and everyone's like, Oh that was really silly. Yeah, he just made a lot of fun, weird choices with some of these scenes. That's the thing, is like he's definitely like a good director and a good filmmaker, you know? Like this is very clearly like a first movie, like a first like kind of amateurish one, but it's like okay, yeah, he's like good. I mean, it looks great. This movie looks great almost the entire time, you know. Yeah, definitely like the style and the cinematography are like very confident for mm-hmm. a first film someone is making. There's this one shot where they're like out in the desert and she's standing still. And he's walking back and forth behind her, and the frame just slots back and forth and puts her at either end of the frame, but it stays on one frame the whole time and, like, follows his movement, and she's, like, just completely Mm. stationary. And it's so cool, because it's, like, this is what these characters are going through, too, like, represented on a physical level within the frame it's a, it's so awesome yeah like she's like she knows what she wants and he's like uh really yeah. confused but still following her which is yeah that's really interesting so when she asks he sort of deflects and says like i'll only do that if we do it in a desert oh yeah <laughs> presumably as like a way to think like well we would never be in a desert so right and then she flies him out to salt lake city <laughs> And they take a cab into the the salt desert, which was incredible. Incredible. And then they get stranded there, and they have to make their way back, and it's like a whole will-they-won't-they. But that's basically the premise of the movie. Yeah, like, when watching those shots of the cab in the desert, I really, like, got the feeling that, like, he was, like, sleeping one day, and Laura, like, falling asleep, and then he just gets this really vivid image of a yellow cab driving through the salt flats, and he's like, I need to make this movie. And then Mm. he just figured it out from there. So I really feel like he approaches this movie almost from, like, a visual perspective first in a lot of cases. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, especially, like, the ending and everything, it feels like a lot of the plot points are just kind of, like, thrown together. Because I, I, I think for the most part, I don't know about the... I, I could be wrong about this, probably am. But I think I remember reading that a lot of French New Wave is kind of improvisational in how they do it. Hmm. Like, they just kind of feel it out as they go. Um, so I'm not going to say that he's... The movie was necessarily improved i mean there's it clearly has a fairly large budget i get the feeling that he just like really got attached to that shot of this yellow cab in the salt flats which yeah it's a great shot you know uh it looks great i like watched that scene i was like okay he's really enthusiastic about this part of the movie it feels like may or may not be true but that's just the sense i got from it was that he really wanted that shot and he was like how do i get these characters to a desert I think it slows down a little in that sequence. It never Mm. gets too slow, but, like, the beginning is very quick. And then when they're out in the desert, it's a little... It it slows down a little bit. Because he uses cars as, like, a... I don't even know what to call it. Like, a cutting technique, almost. It's like every time they got in a car in the first, like, 15 minutes, it was, like, loud honking, quick shots, and then they're at their destination again. Mm -hmm. So it's like cars were just, like, an excuse to cut, almost. But when they're in the middle of the desert, there's, like, nothing going on, so you can't do that, you know? So it's just a lot of walking, which is really interesting as well. There's also this whole thing where it keeps flashing the new date, and you're like, wait, has that much time really passed? Like, what's going on? And you're just, like, in a completely new place doing a new thing, and she's presumably hasn't slept the whole time, is what I get by the end of the movie. is because the doctor tells her to stay awake, by the end of it, I think she's like 
forcing herself to stay awake when they're in the in the airport and she's like slumping over and falling mm-hmm. she's like i can't sleep i'll never sleep again that part is like really crazy too because that's also like involved in the like the fear of having driven off the road because of being tired too which is like the whole reason she she like passes out at the wheel there's there's layers to this man (laughs) do either of you have a thought on what the dates mean because it starts august 31st then we get august 32nd which is the title of the movie and it keeps going until like august 38th i want to say and then we start seeing september yeah, I was going to say it goes in September. So I think the reason he picks 32nd as the name of the thing is because I think the movie is about both about like random chaos, like the absurdity of the universe. You probably read a lot of Camus. Also, probably I think about like how both chaos of the universe and our choices and responses to it are like equally as important. And because I think the 32nd is specifically the day she's decided to have the child. Um, as opposed to the 31st is when the car crash actually happened. So I think it's like about that choice. So I think that's probably why this 32nd is the most important day. I agree with you that I think there's something about the the 32nd being like the starting off. But I feel like it's the moment things go off the rails. Like that's when she's upside mm-hmm. down in the car. She wakes up and like everything has changed. Like everything is different. That's true. And for several days, like nothing's going to make sense to her. She's in a, con- she's in like a concussed, almost like a fugue state. And she's just kind of like mm-hmm. operating in a world that like doesn't exist in some way. Not that like she's in a coma or anything like cheesy like that, but just that like she's in a, in a time zone that is just like spare time. And also it's a time when she was supposed to be on a trip. September mm. 1st, August 32nd is corollary to September 1st. She should have been September 1st in Italy, but instead she's still in Canada in a car upside down. And so it's a different timeline kind of. And then it all snaps back to reality with the tragedy, with like the realization that consequences have like intruded on the situation. Like she escapes from this random accident, like practically unscathed. And he has the same, a similar random encounter and is perhaps killed. I'm just now realizing that there is no August 32nd in August. I completely missed that watching the movie. (laughs) Because like I told you, I watched this at 7 a.m., so I'm just like, oh, August 32nd, cool. And how far, you said, you said it went up to August 38th? I think so, like the 36th, because it goes, because when it cuts back, it is, it's September 5th. Oh so it's the same day, but she's like snapped back into like oh, reality by like, that's like when you see her, oh. she's crying on the bed and it says August 36th, and then she's crying on the bed, it's a cut, and it says September 5th. And it's like her like oh, breaking back into That's so interesting. You know what I'm saying? That makes me think that maybe it's about this time where they were like in their own little world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this time in between the responsibilities she had before and after that was sort of like them living in this moment. Yeah. And yeah. then once they're out of it, it's like back to reality in some way. Yeah. yeah I mean, like they both are just like shirking their responsibilities because I mean Philippe is like, I need to get back to Juliet tonight. Like I told her I'd be gone for 24 hours. I need to be back by tonight. Like he has a pager so that like it's implied that he has stuff going on. Like he needs to be paged. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's never really actually paged by anyone besides her. Can someone get this kid a beeper? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's interesting. I guess it really is just like they are just like existing in their own little world where August never ends. 
<laughs> yeah, that, I think that that probably is what it is. It's just like accident on August 31st, and now everything's just different. So it's August 32nd now. Like I literally just, I literally just googled the days in August to like verify for myself. I was like, there aren't 32 days in August. How did I? Jay, there aren't 32 days in any month. Um, have you ever heard of leap year, dude? Come I, on, brother. I, no, I, no, I, I, I know. I, I, know. I don't know why I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, Jay mentioned Juliet. I want to talk about Juliet. Are right, we talking about Juliet? This poor girl. Okay, so Philippe is caught between two women. One is the protagonist of the movie, who we love, Simone. <laughs> the other is a character named Juliet, who he has been dating for only four months, who we see for 30 seconds. And he spends the whole movie deciding between them. And, and the one time we see her, it's like she's a slight nuisance to him because she's yeah. arrived unannounced to his house and is taking a bath. And so, yeah, that's interesting. So, like, we see this one character getting a car wreck crash and trying to rebuild her life, but also, like, live her own life. So you're like, oh, wow, I relate to this struggle. And then there's this other girl who's just like, I'm in your bath. So it's like, I wonder which one the audience is going to like more. That's interesting. That's the thing. Like, if it's going to be that much of an obstacle, Juliet needs to be a character, which she is not. It it either needs to be that or it needs to be not as much of a struggle for him. Yeah. I think it's hilarious though. I think that's what I think that's what makes it funny. I think that's what makes Philippe so funny in this movie is that like it's such an obvious choice to like everyone yeah. watching it's like such an obvious choice and for him it is truly the most agonizing decision of his entire life. <laughs> I mean so like it is said, talked about how like I guess like he was in love with her but she did not feel the same. And so I think that's where the conflict arises is that he's like, I'm in love with you, but you'll never love me back. I guess I have to fall in love with this girl I've known for four months. It feels incel adjacent. I think that's kind of where the contract or like the conflict arises that he's like head over heels for her, but she Mm. only sees him as a friend. I don't get the feeling they've ever had that conversation, though. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's just like he was secretly pining away for her. And he and just sort of just... thought she wouldn't be there for him. Also, can we talk about the fourth wall break for a second? Yes. When? When when they kiss in the apartment and he looks just right in the camera. Oh, I did see that. Yeah, that part. He looks at the camera a couple of times and it's weird. Like, I'm curious what that means. I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Because um, I think the protagonist of the movie is very clearly Simone. Yeah. But he's the one that interacts with the audience. So it's like, I I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's strange. In their first scene together, I wrote down that they are weird best friends. Because it is like a strange dynamic for two people who are best friends. And then shortly after that, we find out he's in love with her. And I was like, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because the first thing we see her and do with him is tell him that she wants him to get her pregnant, right? Yeah, but even in that scene, he keeps being like, you're so beautiful, or whatever. She's like, I don't know. She's like, you're so sarcastic. He's like, you're so beautiful. And they do stuff like that a couple times. You know from the moment she calls and the girlfriend answers, you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) You know know what's going on. That's so good. 
Juliet? Oh, you sleep there? Oh, uh, call back later. Uh, I don't need to talk to him right now. Simone really does not care. She leaves the message with Juliet she to tell her <laughs> for Philippe to call her so she can ask him to have sex with her. Dude, she really does not. She, she like, at that moment yeah, she where she's like, she, like, really doesn't. She's like, she's like, what? You've known her for four months. How long have we known each other? And I'm like, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. I also love how um, she, like, I feel like comes this close to telling Juliet. Uh-huh. She's like, she's like, tell him I need to. Hmm. I'll call back <laughs> later. I'm like, bro, <laughs> what? Hats off. I, you know, she knows what she wants and she almost died. So every day is a blessing. She's so badass. She's so cool. <laughs> Can we just talk about how cool she is for just. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She's pretty rad. She's got like the sweet fashion. She's got. The grizzly nosebleed a couple different times that just makes mm-hmm. her look like more more like a hard ass. She's got the cool haircut mm-hmm. based on the French actress, like we were saying earlier. She could not. She's care. got a tattoo that says <laughs> "Free, free to, to bet. bet." That's right. And she says, "If we'd ever slept together, you would have seen it, Philippe." <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love this moment too, where she's like, "Yeah, we need to have sex," and he's like, "Uh." okay but we need to go to the desert she's like Bet. okay so then she just automatically just starts changing in front of him yeah oh uh, we've had sex uh, technically we haven't had it but but you know yeah. we're on that level now and here's a kiss and he's like i just love that like she's just like eh, i don't care i don't care anymore you know whatever i think there's another theme in this movie of nudity used mm-hmm. in interesting ways which i also want to say i was relieved because a lot of these 90s indie movies are like mostly about full frontal gratuitous nudity Mm -hmm. and since this is like an indie movie about two people trying to have sex i thought that's where it was going and it really doesn't ever this movie is like waiting for a sex scene to happen and it like never does so -hmm. that's like super interesting that like i i did appreciate that like because yeah like you're saying you expect it to be like and even when she's changing like the camera's blurred so you don't see anything um and i don't really feel like she's ever sexualized really um, throughout the whole movie and then Juliet you never see her really so like yeah it's really interesting that like that never happens um, and there's a couple bits of comedic nudity with Juliet mm. and you don't even really see anything too critical but Juliet is in the bath when he's trying to avoid her right and uh, Simone goes and quits her job while her boss is naked in a tanning bed that, so yes. she's just, that's like, hilarious <laughs> Next to her bus. So I thought that was like just interesting uses of nudity and yeah. a time that was like very pro people being naked in indie films. That part where she bangs on the when she bangs on the tanning bed and scares the bejesus out of her boss and says, <laughs> I'm quitting and her boss says, Calm down. <laughs> like it's happened before. And she says, I mean well, it this time. I think she says like yeah, yeah for real this time. For real this time. Yeah, and Philippe Philippe even says when they're talking, she's like, I quit my job. And he's like, what? You quit until Friday? Or did you quit until Tuesday this time? You know? Yeah. Like, like clearly this has happened before. This is not the first time she's, like, decided to pack up and leave this life. Um, The Twilight movies were also about building to a sex scene that doesn't happen. (laughs) Or at least doesn't happen until four movies in. The Twilight movies are all about building up to scenes that never happen. I mean... (laughs) Yeah. That dream sequence at the end of the last one, or like the the vision sequence or whatever, 
Mm-hmm. It's like the coolest fight scene in the whole franchise. It never actually happened. Brutal. Damn, damn. So good. I love those movies. They're all, yeah. they're all, they're all bops. Okay. All bop. <laughs> okay. All bop. No flop. Yeah. Like I was never bored. I was never bored watching those movies. Anyway, we're not talking about those movies. Go back and listen to the Twilight episodes, uh, guys. Thank you. Thank if you. If you want to hear more about that. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is was that part of the cultural context when we were talking about the uh, nudity? Or do you have any further cultural context to talk about with this? The French New Wave being some of that? Yeah, the French New Wave was part of that. And I would just say a little bit about like the state of indie movies at mm, the time mm-hmm. this comes mm-hmm. out. Because today when we say indie movies, we're kind of talking about anything that isn't a Marvel movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like these things that are being released by A24, like Sony Pictures Classics, like these are like fully funded movies that are just less than $60 million. But right. this is kind of from a time where it's like really more like people were doing stuff on the cheap. What was the budget for this movie? Do you know? I couldn't find anything. The aesthetic of it is very DIY for a lot of it. You know, like those following shots in the grass. It's kind of like shaky. A lot of simple setups. No, 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 no real effects the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get that shot of them following the plane. And I was like, that that had to cost a little bit, you know? That could have been stock footage. That's true, too. I guess I But they probably had a helicopter for that desert stuff because there's a ton of like from above mm. shots in the desert. But like, I mean, that's probably why those are the slowest parts of the movie. It's because that's where he spent the most money. You know, that's the, that's the genius of uh, Denis right there. I think on display truly. Yes. Uh, no, I mean, honestly though, I, I think those are the parts that he focused on the most. Cause I think he is very, he's a very visual. I mean, all, of course, all directors are visual storytellers, but I mean, I think he approaches a lot of it from visual first. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of compelling visuals in the movies I've seen. In I guess in like the 70s and 80s, there were kind of like B-movies, hmm. which were still stuff that were being screened, but were like made for much cheaper. And then mm-hmm. it's like here in the 90s, because of how cheap and accessible VHSs were, mm-hmm. because of the VHS boom, it was suddenly like anyone could make a movie that people could buy at home, you know? Mm. So this is sort of like in the middle of like an indie movie explosion and the indie movies are much more like this than they are like Lady Bird or Francis Mm. Ha or things we think of as indie movies today. Hmm. Like in 98, Lady Bird could have been one of the top 10 films of the year probably because adults would go see movies in theaters. But this is much more like something that would have... This did come out in cinemas in Canada. Oh, okay. But it is part of like a movement of filmmaking being much more accessible Hmm. to people with less resources. That's great. I love that. Obviously, like we said, it's his first movie, so it's kind of amateurs or whatever. But it looks great, you know, and the actors are doing a great job. I would say the sound editing, sound everything is great. Like the technical quality of this movie is not in question. I wouldn't say at all. Yeah. The acting is good. And I feel like it's really their chemistry that carries you through that. Mm -hmm. Because like if you really couldn't tell like the electricity between them, you wouldn't care. You know? Yeah. 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 I loved it. I think they're both doing a different thing. And I think that makes it like they're neither of them are quite in the same movie. And that's like kind of why it works because that's what we're going yeah. through. But like, so like the actor mm-hmm. style matches the character style in some ways. Cause I think mm-hmm. he's a little bit broader and funnier and weirder. And she's mm-hmm. like super intense 
and like real like real totally real in everything she does and totally like animalistic almost in like the way that she moves and just like it like in that first scene when she's like just fighting to get out of the car she's really doing it you know she busts that window out like oh yeah, yeah. you believe that she's like fighting for her life i don't know really yeah cool. i was she's like fighting for like existential survival it feels yeah. like like the she's like movie. i don't want to kill myself i'm gonna give myself a purpose really quick hold up yeah so she's like straight line just like following it like uh just like a lion track and a goat you know yeah. like super focused super on it hmm. whereas philippe is much more satisfied with i would say meandering you know like he's just fine with just kind of floating through life because that's where he is right now like he's going to be a doctor in a couple years or whatever um he's got this girlfriend he's gotten over this girl that he thinks he's never going to get with so he's just like fine with where he's at and then all of a sudden she's like I need to get pregnant. And he's like, uh, okay, well, we're going to have to go to a desert. And she's like, <laughs> okay. Even at the end, though, like his last coherent line is funny as hell. He says, you want to rumble? And he says, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He says, not particularly. For, for what? No. For feeling their tire tracks? Yeah, for like they're seeing like, that they went around. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, it's a man, dude. Just what I've been waiting for. Just like, kick his ass. <laughs> We're delinquents. How could you tell? Yeah, let's talk about the ending. So to mm-hmm. set this up, it kind of builds to he has written her a letter explaining why he feels like he can't do it. They get drunk. They start to make out. Yeah, they drink a whole bottle of mezcal. And she drinks the worm. Yeah, she does it, dude. <gasps> I'm like, oh my god. They get sloppy drunk, they start to make out, and then he stops it and he gives her the letter. They get back home. He calls Juliet, and he's like, Juliet, I'm back, I'm coming over. And then she reads the letter, pages him, he calls her, and she's like, come over. Like She's basically like, I feel it too, or whatever. You know, she's like, I get it, come over, let's be together. Please come. And he is like walking, I think to her. I don't know if they say it does. But he's say. walking to one of the two women that he has told he is coming over to, and then he gets randomly attacked <laughs> by a bunch of Canadian hoodlums who put him <laughs> in a coma. Then there's like three minutes of her waiting by his bedside in the hospital for a week or whatever as he's brain dead in a coma. Then yes. the last scene of the movie. Is she locks the door, she comes to him and she's like, I've read your letter, and then she's like, I'm going to make love to you. Keep, she's like, keep your eyes closed, don't open your eyes. And he's, of course, brain dead in a coma, I want to again mention. Yeah, he's like, she's like, don't open your eyes, and this man is just like... And then, and then credits roll. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah, that's it. dead Denny Yeah, dude, I was like, pretty uneasy about that ending, um... Yeah, how do you feel about, like, that she's just gonna have sex with him unconscious? Badly. Yeah, I don't feel great <laughs> about it. I, I don't expect you to feel good about it. Like, you know, honestly, that was a really creative take on her focus, honestly. No, I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's like, oh, man, I guess she really was, like, more focused on her end goal than I guess we even thought. And it honestly kind of, I think, makes Phil- Philippe's choice, honestly, like, to be like, hey, I, I want some space. Like, fair, because she's like, I'm going to have sex with you whether you are awake or not. 
you know? So I'm like, she has kind of lost it a little bit. Yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere, as did most of the things in that ending. Yeah. I'm not sure what I would have preferred from the ending, but Mm -hmm. it just feels a little more cruel than the rest of the movie. It feels like the ending of like a Neil LeBute play or (laughs) something else that's like dark and messy in the 90s where the rest of it doesn't quite feel like that. Yeah, no, truly. It's like you just have like this fun, weird, I hesitate to say rom-com, but it is kind of a rom-com going on the whole movie with some weird stuff happening. And then all of a sudden she's just like, it really is just like, yeah, it feels like just the edgy 90s came out of nowhere. It's not pleasant. The end of this is pretty upsetting. I was just saying, I'm just curious how he expects us to feel about it, you know? Yeah. Because it's, I, I don't think he expects us to like it, but does he expect us to be like, I get it. Would it have felt different in 1998, I wonder? Because this is, I mean, if not a rom-com, it's at least like a romance and there's a lot of like icky consent stuff and romance to begin with, yeah, you know. True. True. That's sort of like a staple of the genre. So I wonder like when we weren't having the conversations as much in 1998, would it have felt maybe not good but a little more inevitable? It harkened back to a thing at the beginning where she says or he says you can't force me and she just like looks at him. Because there is this whole thing where he's like, I didn't say yes. She, like, takes him back to her apartment. And he's like, I have not said yes yet. And she's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you have. And there, there is, there is like, some weird thing that, you know, where she is, like, mm. not respecting any of the boundaries that he's putting up. I don't know. I, what I, I do think it's, like, very extreme. And I don't know if we get I don't know if we get it. Like, I don't know if it gets motivated enough. I feel like it's there in her character. It's, like available to her character but i'm not sure if we quite connect all the dots to get there you know what i mean Hmm. Mm. i don't know like scientifically how many body functions still work when you are brain dead in a coma like could i was assuming that she could not get pregnant or anything from this it was just like an emotional thing she felt she had to do yeah that's a good question and i think it's like ultimately it doesn't matter to her yeah, so I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's like, I think it's just like, she feels like she has to, or she really wants to or whatever. I feel like in that moment when she calls him, like, it has shifted from being about the kid to being about him. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Like, if you think through her perspective of like, being in this accident, spending then like the next few days and a lot of money with this guy. Yeah, a lot of money drinking a worm and then she gets back and she reads this letter that he's like always been in love with her and i think that when she calls him she is like i love i feel like it is like the text is like i love you too like come over and then she never hears from him again she presumably gets a call that he's in a coma and we see she spends like a week crying by his bedside we don't see juliet there you know Mm mm-hmm yeah. And she does call herself his girlfriend, which I mean is like a very oh, convenient yeah. cover. I mean that's that's very easily just like yeah. The nurse would have been like, mm, "There's no visitors." She's like, "I'm his girlfriend." But, but wouldn't you kind of feel like you were in that situation? You know, like if you had had that very emotionally vulnerable moment with someone, and then it was their life was just like interrupted. Yeah. That's the last thing that happened between the two of you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely like, it could go either way. And I do think she like, even if she was saying it just to like get past the nurse, I think there was a part of her that was like, I'm I'm his girlfriend. If he ever wakes up, like that's what it's going to be, you know? Mm -hmm. 
But I'm going to be interested to see what happens if she wakes, if he wakes up and finds out, oh, by the way, I did have a child because of you. You were just unconscious. That's not going to work out. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. In in five years, he wakes up full memory, full function. He's just back out from out of nowhere. And she's, he's got a five-year-old kid with this lady. Nah, nah, that's not it. It's just a weird ending. Yeah. I'm not really sure how to like reconcile in my brain, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, Jay, who would you say is your MVP? Oh, uh, MVP is the guy with the eye patch in the background of the cafe scene. Oh my God. (laughs) No question. That's my favorite character in the whole thing. I would say I, I kind of like the guy that they were trying to rent a car from. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, like, I get that he needs a driver's license and everything, but he was, like, funny, because, like, he was just in a different movie, too. Yeah. Which uh-huh. I respect that. She's like, I left my driver's license, uh, whatever, and he was like, oh, haha. I was like, what are you doing, brother? Taxi Driver was a compelling choice as well, just because he was such a weird, a weird little character. He was. But... Definitely just like this random dude in the background that just had an eye patch on. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm vibing with this dude right here in the pager scene for sure. Wait. My MVP is the best friend. No question. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. He's a good choice, too. This dude is Philippe's best friend and roommate. Philippe uh-huh. is 30, studying to be a doctor. He watches French New Wave. His roommate. He goes into his room to ask for advice on this. It is, like, 2 p.m. The roommate's still asleep. He's got, like, a plate of food and two beers on his his bedside table. Yeah, this dude. (laughs) He wakes the dude up, and Philippe is like, I've got a friend, and a girl asked this friend if she would do this. He's, like, trying to do the metaphor, and um, his best friend says, I thought Simone was an idiot. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so good. Like he knows immediately. And then it, it builds to him giving this advice. And the best friend says, as I think Jay mentioned earlier, he's like, if you were in love with this girl for three years and your best friend pulled you out of a horrible depression for three years, your best friend doesn't want to hear about her anymore. Yeah. And that's <laughs> and- <laughs> absolutely fair. And Philippe is like, you are my best friend. And then he leaves. (laughs) It is, it's one of the greatest scenes of all time. It's so good. Yeah, that, that guy is incredible. But I also am now just remembering what happens after he says that to the best friend. Uh He walks out and he says, Juliet, time to disintegrate. Uh I don't know what that means. But anyway, he just says that to Juliet and then leaves. So... Emmett, who's your MVP? Well, it was going to be that guy. I will give it then to uh, to the cab driver because he is sinister mm-hmm. AF. And I think the progression, for, the progression for his character is really interesting. And it's like it's clear and he gets like, like mm-hmm. I think, scarier and scarier as the thing, like as it goes on. Uh, I just also wanted to bring up that scene at the very end where it cuts back to them on the hill in the wind. And she's like, Oh yeah. I don't ever want to come. Like, why should I ever come down? And he like begins to walk away and she says, Philippe stay. 
and like you, th- you like seems like it's metaphorically like him wandering off into the darkness of the coma forever but it also is like something that actually happened to them in the desert at some point probably that was another thing i didn't like about the ending i thought that we were going to in that moment find out that they had had sex in the oh, desert yeah. and it was going to like recontextualize the second half of the movie oh. but instead it was just like this weird metaphorical been, flashback i honestly would have liked that yeah that would have been that would have been a much more cohesive ending i think than what we got i've got uh, a little tiny bit about denny as a person here oh yeah uh, oh, just yeah. to like introduce and i think some of it ties into this movie at the start of this new miniseries so he was born in 1967 in Quebec, lived there his whole life. His father was a notary. His mother was a homemaker. He was the oldest of four. Very normal upbringing, not like a showbiz lifestyle mm-hmm. connection, anything. He went to Catholic school. He studied science in college, which I think ties into some of his later movies. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the University of Montreal for film. <laughs> In 1991, when he was 23 years old, after he graduated, seven years before this movie, he was in a reality show from Radio Canada where they sent, like, young filmmakers to foreign countries and they gave them a week to make a short film with no resources. Oh, that's so cool. And it was this, like, long-running show competition. He was on it one year. So basically, you have, like, a week to travel to some foreign country you've never been before where they send you. They don't give you anything. You have to make a film. You have to send it back. At the end, they screen all of the films, and, like, the judges picks the winner. What an interesting competition. What a cool thing. Wow, reality TV was way better in the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) And he won. He won in 1991. And Radio Canada gave him, like, full funding for a professional short film. Mm. So then he makes several short films, and then in 1998, seven years later, he makes this when he's 31, which I want to point out, just as someone who recently turned 27, for no reason in particular, (laughs) that his first film was 31, and we're going to talk about this next year, but I want to set up this arc a little bit, because it's really interesting. He makes that. Two years later, he makes his second film, when he's 33. Then he takes 10 years off to be a stay-at-home dad. Whoa. Whoa. Then he comes back, and his third film wins an Oscar. But anyway, this was his first one. When he was 31, it premiered at the Cannes Festival that year, and it was Canada's official selection for the Best Foreign Film Oscar, uh, but it was not nominated. Mm. So the Best Foreign Film is sort of like the Olympics, where each country that participates uh-huh. like sends in one film every year from their country. Wow. And then the Oscars picks like the five they like best and those are the best foreign films whoa so this was canada's entry but it was not picked to be one of the five but that's really cool i did not know that's how the foreign best foreign film selection worked that's interesting that is interesting i also wonder if that that experience of like being in a foreign country navigating transportation and trying to get something done related at all to the inspiration for this movie being lost having a taxi driver try to swindle you yeah i'm sure we were talking about how how like diy this looked but that makes sense like if he Mm -hmm. his whole like the way he came up was through doing diy short films on like an insanely tight budget and timeline like that's really cool 
uh, that I guess that would lend itself to like why that's so visually confident even though it's so early in his career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Wade, now is the part of the podcast that we have labeled Dune Book Report. Where are you on having read any of Dune? Have you cracked the first page? (laughs) I have not. I got so far as the table of contents one night and then I fell asleep. But I think I was starting it too late. I was trying to do a little late night reading before bed and I... Found myself with a book on my face open to the table of contents. It's farther than I've gotten, so... <laughs> next week, partially due to this segment, I will have more. Check in, <laughs> check in next week uh, for the, the Dune book report. Now, I have sent y'all in our group chat a little quiz uh, from BuzzFeed because I totally forgot to prepare a quiz today. Um, so we're going to figure out which 90s or 2000s <laughs> rom-com character we are all together here and i will i'll read the um the questions out loud and you can click on them in your own thing and we'll all tell the audience who we got at the end okay all right i have clicked on the link okay i hope i get simone Uh, yeah Uh, you you think simone and philippe are on this list i really hope so um this is what the buzzfeed says which iconic late 90s, early 2000s rom-com character matches your personality? And underneath that, it says rom-coms just haven't been the same since then. What does that mean? I mean, literally, they're they're right. Like, in a very literal in sense, very, they have not been the same. In a very literal sense. Things change. Yeah. Uh, time progresses. Yeah. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? The options are lawyer, something beauty related. I don't need a job. I'll have family money. The best option. Some, something involving math. What? These are so vague. Okay. My last job was something beauty related. My current job is working with lawyers. <laughs> Although, what do I want to be would probably be not having a job. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. If I could choose anything. But I'm going to go with something beauty related here. That's, that was what I was going to pick as well. I went with uh, something involving math because I'm just learning that I love to be a DM for Dungeons and Dragons. So, ooh, I'm DMing for my first time tonight. That's so, so cool! Wow. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm looking forward to it. Hell yeah! What's something you dislike? Ugly outfits. IDK. I'm like most things. When I don't get my way, Regina George. <laughs> I think Regina George is fine. She served her purpose as a, as a narrative device, you know, so that's cool. Ugly outfits. I don't like ugly outfits. That's true. But I don't know if it's like, it's like if someone's wearing clothes, like whatever, you know, like that's just where you're at. I don't, I'm not going to judge you, you know, mm. when I don't get my way, I get riled up when I don't get my way. I'll tell you what. No, I'm going to, I'm going to put IDK. I like most things. I'm going to put that too. Wow, I think me and Wade are going to be the same character. I said when I don't get my way, damn it. What's your favorite color? Wow. Any color as long as it looks good on me. Pink. Don't have one. Yellow. These are only two of these are colors. What the hell is this? (laughs) I know, like, what am I supposed to say? I don't even know. I think my favorite color is, like, actually literally green or gray, maybe. So I don't know what to... Huh. My favorite color is purple, so I'm going to put pink. I'm wearing a yellow shirt, so I will say yellow. I'm going to say any color as long as it looks good on me, baby. How would your friends describe you? Mean, ambitious, flirty, or gullible? 
Well, surely we each have to pick each other's for this. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So okay, for okay. Emmett... Oh, man. I would say all of these but mean could apply to Emmett. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say flirty, probably. I am too. Emmett, you have flirty. You have to click okay. flirty. Okay. For Wade, Jay, what do you think? I'm going to say ambitious. Yeah, I think ambitious probably fits the best I'm out saying, of all I'm these. ambitious. Yeah. I mean, oh, consistently putting okay. plays out in college. You guys started a podcast, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what about for Jay, Wade? I'm caught between flirty and gullible. I, I think we should go with gullible just because we have, haven't used it already. <laughs> I'm the token gullible. It's the token I, get gullible. It. I get it. That's fine. And lastly, which iconic quote is your fave? Ugh, as if. You go, Glenn Coco. <laughs> I need a boyfriend who's not such a complete bonehead. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. I think this was just Clueless and Mean Girls references. I need a boyfriend who's not such a complete bonehead is from August 32nd on Earth. Oh, I don't, you're do right. Do you not remember that? That was the last line in the movie. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, Damn, that's messed up. That is messed up, dude. <laughs> Take it I out. Consider that. Uh, I think my favorite's probably Ugg as If. Uh, that is mine, too. Not to be a copycat, but it is mine, too. Yeah, yeah. I do, in real life, need a boyfriend who's not such a complete bonehead. But I am going to say I'll go safe. Emmett? I'll go with on Wednesdays we wear pink. I know it's a complete cliche, but sometimes they do actually say it, and I've never said any of the other ones. I think I've said I'll go safe probably 50 times. This morning. This morning, uh, before I woke up. As <laughs> if. All right. So what, what, who'd you get, Jay? I got... Share from Clueless. Oh, hell yeah. You're sweet with good intentions. You love to play matchmaker, but sometimes you get a little carried away. You can be a bit spoiled, but I'm sure anyone would love to be your friend. Hey, and the picture, she's wearing a yellow blazer and I'm wearing a yellow shirt. Oh! Wow. That's Damn. how you know it's meant to be. I do love to be your friend. Aww. I got Elle Woods from Legally Blonde. No kidding. Nice. Which I have never seen, I must confess. No way. What? I, I love that movie. That movie's great. That movie yeah. is pretty It sweet. says, you're confident, ambitious, and smart. You're also very sweet and a lover of all things pink. Sometimes people don't take you seriously, but not to worry. You always show them who's large and in charge. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see. I can see how it was. Yeah. I got uh, Regina George from Mean Girls. You're a bit of a queen bee and like things your way. You always have your besties by your side. Truly, truly do. Except when they're all the way across the country from me. You can be intimidating and even occasionally mean. You also love shopping. I think this is a pretty accurate, uh, like, reading of my life, so... Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Do you love shopping? Yeah, dude. When I've got money. Well, then there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Any final thoughts on this movie, though, before we go? There was a dead body. Oh, that part was horrible. With a gas can and handcuffs. So that was interesting. Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty good movie. It looks great the whole time. Confusing ending. I would say if you're a Denny Villeneuve fan, definitely check it out. I think it's worth your time. Wait. A little bit of this is very Wes Anderson-y in Mm. the frame. 
And I checked, and this did come out two years after Bottle Rocket, and the same year as Rushmore, so I wonder <laughs> if that is intentional. Uh, especially a lot of the, like, apartments and the little space hotel they're in. Like, the framing of it is very symmetrical. Yes. Clean and colorful in a certain mm. way. All from one, like, distinct color palette, for yeah. sure, too. Huh. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't think about that, yeah. Uh, Simone gets in the car with a stranger after getting in her car wreck, and she doesn't wear a seatbelt while the driver is wearing a seatbelt, which is truly wild. Yeah, I mean, she just spent all that time trying to get out of her seatbelt. So she's uh, like, yeah. you know what? If that. I die, I die, you know? Yeah. That's true. There's a, a quote with a little bit of foreshadowing here. Someone says, I think uh, Philippe says, I thought there'd be dunes or something. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yes, Warner Brothers. We thought there would be dunes or something at some point, sometime. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, she she says, "I thought there'd be dunes or something," and then she responds, "Yeah, no, we need to push that back a couple more weeks." <laughs> Philippe also has my favorite line of the movie, where he says, "It's white, my guy." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Talking about the salt desert. (laughs) Like, again, he's just in a completely different movie. It's white, my guy. Emmett, final thoughts? I think there's a lot of really funny lines in this, like we were just saying, a lot of great... I think this is, for a movie that seems to not really be going anywhere, I think there's some really incredible dialogue that really does Mm -hmm. kind of drive it along in interesting ways. And... Uh, much loved on Letterbox and by me as well is the quote, no one's eternally eternal, which is like a really, mm. just like a really interesting turn of phrase and kind of captures part mm. of what this movie is about too. I love yeah. it. I would say watch it. It's weird. It's wonderful. It's wild. Do you have any plugs uh, of future or present work, Jay, that where people can <laughs> find anything that you might be doing? Uh. I'm still writing that short film that I described earlier and the last time mm. I was on the show. So we're still plugging up, chugging along on that. Chandler and I might be starting a podcast soon. So we'll get back to you on that. Yeah, that's pretty much about it. Those two things. So, and I'm going to be DMing soon. So just Dave. pray for me, you know, Dave. All right. Well, and if, uh, people want to DM you, where can they find you? Uh, nice. <laughs> hey. Yeah. My, my Instagram is ultra dot obscure. Uh, I don't, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Nice. But my letterboxed is uh rot Lord. So if you want to see how I rate movies, you can follow me there. That's it, man. Well, thank you so much for being here. An honor and a pleasure as ever. Thanks for having me. Hope to see you in person Mm -hmm. sometime soon. Always a fun excuse to watch a weird movie. Yeah. I always love those. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Tune in next week when we discuss Maelstrom, the second uh, feature film by Denis Villeneuve. And also remember... Bumtober is coming. Send your serious suggestions to cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Thank you so much and enjoy Denny for two. Okay, love you guys. Bye. Bye. Cinemabums is a production of DKG Podcast. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes this podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. 
If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. <laughs>